Good morning. Thanks for braving the, the strong winds out there. It's good to have a visitor this morning, too. So if you haven't already, turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. For those of you who had missed it, um, in the past uh, several months I've been addressing from this very passage, really drawing a, um, really a framework around what biblical counseling looks like. It comes from the, the ministry of the Apostle Paul, really his preaching ministry, but even in the midst of him preaching and teaching, he also counsels his people, those, those whom he, he encounters. Those, are, those of you who are very familiar with the New Testament is, is very, very clear within that. So it's my, my desire this morning to um, bring forward to you a sermon entitled Intentional Biblical Counseling. And we're going to address that last portion of the verse 28 of Colossians chapter 1. And then we'll also discuss, at least to some degree, verse 29. It says, So that we may present every man complete in Christ. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for this day and thank you for the truth of your word and thank you for the, the wonderful reminders that we had this morning in, in singing from, from our hearts. What wonderful truths. May those remind us of a blessed salvation, a hope, a hope that cannot be taken away, a hope that is eternal, we place our trust in you. Bless this time now, O Lord, and give us understanding to your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2005, the United States government backed the funding of a bridge that would connect Ketchikan, Alaska to Gravina Island, the location at which there's the airport that really provides transportation, at least air transportation, for this area. And really the intention of this bridge was to provide more direct transportation to the airport. Although the construction of the bridge started, it was never completed due to many politi- for many political reasons. So the bridge has since been named the Bridge to Nowhere. It is also a symbol for many of wasteful spending of taxpayers' dollars. And in some way, biblical counseling for some can be seen as this, can be perceived as a bridge to nowhere. And really, people when approach it this way have a very wrong view of what biblical counseling ought to be. So these people instead, those who think that biblical counseling is a bridge to nowhere that need to add or replace or even provide unbiblical approaches, vain approaches, to helping people. But instead, as we, as we even sung this morning, we have a, a blessed word that God has given us, a word that we can address the needs of people, provide help and hope in the time of need, to the true need, the true need of the heart, not just uh, providing bandages on the outside, but really addressing the hard issues that may really that a lot of people may really struggle with. So this morning we're going to examine two essential components of biblical counseling. So before we do that, as a, as a review, verse 28 says, I'll read it first, it says, We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. And then verse 29 says, For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. And if you recall, those who are, who are here, here we have really a summary of gospel ministry. And in that, the Apostle Paul, and when he says we, includes Timothy and also those that you can see towards the end of the, the book of Colossians 4, 
he lists a whole litany of his partners who have partnered with him to preach the gospel, this mystery of Christ that has been revealed, that he has been so graciously bestowed upon him to be a steward of. A steward of the gospel, a gospel of that, this, that unfolds the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And what does he do? What do they do? They proclaim Christ. They proclaim Christ. It's simple. Someone who is in true need needs no other message, needs no other Savior but Jesus Christ. The one who bled and died on behalf of many, who bore our sin, who bore the sin of many so that we might be saved. And this is where the ministry of the Apostle Paul starts, proclaiming, preaching the truth of the gospel. Even for some, as in 1 Corinthians says, is foolishness. Yet for us, hopefully all of us, it is a blessed hope. This is where Paul starts. And then he goes on to say in, in Colossians 28, or Colossians 1.28, he says, admonishing every man and teaching every man. And really this is the, the, what Paul does, admonishing, teaching, provides instruction from the word of God on how to live. Provides instruction from the word of God on who Christ is. Even at the beginning of Colossians, you see this, this uh, wonderful explanation or really um, where Paul really delves into who Christ is. Who is this Christ that he proclaims? Who is this Christ who has come to be the Savior of the world? It's a Christ for in verse 13 of chapter 1 says, For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. It is this Christ in verse 16, it says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. This is the Christ whom he proclaims, who he admonishes every man. And notice that Paul says, every man admonishes every man and teaches every man. Nobody is excluded. Nobody's ignored. The message of the gospel is for every ear to hear and every heart to respond. From the lowliest of low, you can probably recall some uh, favorite testimonies and passages in Scripture that you see those who have turned from their sin and turned to God. And the testimony of the Apostle Paul. The testimony of the Ethiopian eunuch. What about the magicians? What about the magicians that, that turned from their sin and, and burned those, the material in which they used to practice divination? What about the thief in Ephesians chapter 4? Where Paul says that they, he no longer steals, but he works hard with his hands. What is the salvation that Christ provides? It is a salvation that gives one a new heart and a new mind. And it's through this, this preaching of Christ, this gospel ministry admonishing every man from the lowliest of low to those who may be of high esteem, at least in worldly terms. Yet through the gospel of Christ, 
Those who respond are brought to the same place of humility, to trust in him. And what does Paul do? And he, he teaches and admonishes every man with all wisdom. Wisdom from God through his word. And that brings us to the point where we're going to address today the end of verse 28. So that we may present every man complete in Christ. This here we have the purpose of Paul's ministry. And it's, it really has, as I said, two components. You really have the mandate. We're going to look at the mandate of biblical counseling where Paul says that so, we, so that we may present. There's this presentation that happens. But then also the mission of biblical counseling. So yeah, I'm focusing on at least a, a portion of what I, is what I said and what's talked about here, but it's more broad. But I want to apply it to, to biblical counseling. So there's a, there's a mandate and there's a mission. And really, you know, all of ministry in the church should be intentional. So I'm not trying to single out anything, but I am trying to at least narrow down because that's what I have been addressing. It should be intentional. It should be intentional in the sense that dealing with the heart issues, the sin issues in a person's life, instead of what's on the surface. And really, there's too much confusion and misunderstanding about uh, biblical counseling within the church. As I've said before, there's too many times where I've heard even pastors say that they don't feel qualified to counsel the people that, they, that come to them. And this, we should be very convinced from this scripture, is very wrong. Even to the point of every Christian should be convinced that they are able to, to address people's hearts and minds through the word of God taking from the model of, of, of Paul and his ministry, proclaiming Christ, admonishing and teaching with all wisdom. And really the, the, the end or the aim or the, the purpose in which everyone should have, the church, is to what? It's to see, it's to see one complete in Christ. Someone who is mature in Christ. So here we have a pattern, a pattern that provides help and hope to deal with a real need, a pattern that deals with the heart God has given us through his word. What a blessing. So verse 28, the second half, so that, this is the purpose statement. This is the purpose statement that that Paul gives. So he proclaims Christ, admonishing, teaching, and there you have it. So that. This is on the heart and mind of a true servant of Christ. So that we may present every man complete in Christ. And really you ought to approach every interaction with your family, friends, desire to to minister the truth of the gospel with this in mind. In a sense, you know, I'm sure you have watched a horse race. It's, it's kind of like that. The, the horse that has the, the blinders on and, and is focused on the, the finish line. And this is really the, the focus that we ought to have. We ought to desire those whom we minister to to be found complete in Christ. Some we may... Um, have a wonderful blessing to, to see that, that completion come to pass, and some we may not until we get to glory. But really, this ought to be your purpose and how you minister to people. That they be found complete in Christ. There's too many misplaced aims within uh, ministries in a church. Too much is focused on church growth, not that we um, shouldn't praise God for adding to the body of Christ, but for some, for many, 
That's the focus. And there's focus on behavior modification, you know, hoping that someone would, would change just on the outside. But, but certainly there, there is change, but it should come at the heart level. And too many churches busy themselves with political issues, not that the Word of God doesn't address those things, but that has become the aim of some churches. And really, too, some major on minor issues. Even more so, some focus on charity or benevolence, not that we can't minister to people and, and love people with the love of Christ. But I would say that it's a misplaced aim if, if that's the end in which you so desire to serve. Even more so, church programs. Some churches have programs for everything. And that becomes the life of the church. Instead of really to see one to be complete in Christ. And also, too, even you, you could probably go on with many more things that... Um, Sometimes what happens is personal preference comes before biblical truth. And it is a challenge at times with the convictions that we hold. We ought to, to make sure that the convictions that we hold and that we communicate to others ought not to be those of... Now, if they are a preference because they're, they're biblical, that, that is fine. But it is um, something that happens where the aim of... The ministry in a church is purely preferential instead of a biblical approach. So this this misplaced aims in church ministry, including biblical counseling, has caused and is causing a lot of confusion. Diversion away from the true purpose, this true purpose here. I know most of you, I know I can say for myself, I like things very simple and straightforward. And this is really simple and straightforward. That we ought to have this in mind, in our heart and our mind, to present every man complete in Christ. Not those that you prefer to talk to, not those who are easy to talk to, but every man, every man including those who are difficult and hard to communicate with, those who may be different than you, those who may be very much younger than you or even older than you. This is every man. You come across all sorts of people in life, I'm sure, in your, in your walks and you, as you go out to the grocery store as the kids you may come across in school, the teachers, even those in your workplace. All sorts of people. It really is a a wonderful display of God's creative handiwork in in the multiple varieties of people that he has created. But it can... It can present a a very difficult thing when people are hard to communicate with for various reasons. Or even the fact that they may, in some sense, and no offense to, to anybody, but they may look different or smell different. As some of you may know, actually most of you may know, I, you know, I grew up uh, in school where I heard, I heard a lot of ridicule from, from kids being made fun of. And that's what I identified myself with. I identified myself with, in my mind, I made myself better than that person who was bringing the, the ridicule, bullying, you could say. 
But what a blessed thing it was when God opened my eyes to my self-righteousness and sin to see that I needed to be born again. And that my identity is not in myself, but that which is in Christ, in Christ alone. And I'm sure you have a, have a testimony of God's great faithfulness. And may that be for those who we minister to, that we can have that in mind. That they can see uh, and have a wonderful testimony of, of God's grace. But when we're thinking about ministering to people in a biblical fashion, the, these mandates that we do have, and really this mission, there really is a cost to this. You hear stories of people all around the world who have put their faith in Christ. And in some countries, that has cost them their life. And for some, it has cost them the loss of their entire family. But that's really what needs to happen. In the sense that if a person trusts in Christ, they ought not to waver from anything. I guess what I'm saying is it ought to be a, like the buried treasure. A buried treasure the, that you dig and that's what you are searching for, have been searching for your whole life. An eternal wealth in Christ. An eternal wealth that you can share with others. So first, the mandate of biblical counseling. If you see, if you look down there, it says, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. This presentation in in the original language is made up of two words that mean placed beside. And it's a term that has the basic meaning of to set before. And really the idea here is in context. Paul and Timothy know that they have the responsibility to make a presentation of every man. And it's also used, if you look up in verse 22, you see it there as well. Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. So the meaning here is to present someone to God with a focus on the quality of the one presented. The Apostle Paul and Timothy, in this context, were focused on the quality of those they were presenting before God. So this ministry was not flippant. It was very serious. Paul took each person individually very seriously. Because this was the presentation. This is who, who was, he was hoping to present to God complete in Christ. What method did Paul use? I would say that the method is we, we had spoken of in the past and even today is preaching and teaching and counseling. But I would also submit to you, and we'll look very briefly to chapter 1, verse 9 of Colossians. It says, For this reason also, since the day we heard, it, heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, And ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all aspects, bearing fruit of every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And there you could say is a a further explanation of, of 
what Paul's desire is, but I'm not going to go into talk to right now to talk about the specifics, but I want to center on or focus on what did Paul do in his ministry? He spent time praying for those he ministered to. What does he say? Since they heard of what had happened to them, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that they would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. So, the same should be with us. So as we seek to, to spend, invest in the lives of people, at whatever the cost, we ought to be committed to, to pray, to pray for those people. Pray though for those whom we minister to. Although it's not necessarily the, the focus in this passage, I want to draw our attention to, at least to some degree, and really examine this manner of life that Paul lived. So here you have these men who have, who have this great desire to, to present to, to God a people who is holy and blameless in his sight through Christ. I want to examine Paul's life. Because really, we're going to have and really see the heart of a man, the heart of even Timothy and those who served alongside Paul, a pattern for all of us to follow. Let's look briefly. We're going to look at a few examples. Chapter 1, verse 3, it says, We give thanks to God as they pray. Gave thanks to God, a heart of gratitude, of thankfulness. Giving thanks to the Lord for what He has done. But also, verse 24 Paul did not live, as most of you know, familiar with. Verse 24, it says that he suffered for whose sake? This burden was on Paul. A burden to discharge his ministry. And he did this for the sake. And here in this context, in verse 24, it says... For your sake. Living a life of suffering, persecution, because of the gospel. You can read through multiple examples in the book of Acts where um, this was described, or is described, I should say. But I want to add to that this as well. I want to add what it describes in verse 29 of chapter 1. It says, For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. And also, I should say too, that we have a great struggle. Chapter 2, verse 1. For I know, for I want you to know how great a struggle. What do these mean? Paul anguished over this. This was an anguishing exertion of himself to exhaustion. This is what his, his ministry looked like. And it's very interesting, in chapter 4, verse 12... You have that as a description of Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in the will of God. And I'm sure you have seen some uh, threads of uh, a common theme 
through these ministers who desire these, <clears throat> these people to be found standing firm, complete in Christ. And as I said before in verse 28, it says three times that makes mention of every man. This ministry was not partial. It was to every man. The homeless, the wealthy, those who are depressed, those who are contemplating suicide, those who have uh, sought to worship idols. It's not partial. But I should also add, too, that this ministry, this man, didn't do it by himself. He put his hand to the plow with many faithful servants. Faithful servants of Christ. And he he names so many of those in chapter 4. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. And you can read so many names there, including, as I said, Epaphras. He's not a lone ranger. By God's grace, that he is, he's, he's labored alongside, as I even mentioned before, Timothy. So as we think about this, as we think about this presentation of every man, this mandate, this responsibility, put yourself in Paul, the Apostle Paul's shoes. I'm not, calling, I'm not asking you to be an apostle, but I'm asking you to, 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 just to think about the, the stuff that we have just looked at, that we've described about this, this man, these servants of Christ, these ministers of the gospel who proclaim Christ, teaching every man, admonishing every man. He gave all of himself for God and these people who God had called him to minister to. He exhausted himself for the gospel. He exhausted himself for their sake. He put himself in harm, harm's way many times. Do you think Paul had to deal with difficult people? Do you think that there were not people, there were people that were not very easy to to deal with, to communicate with? Do you think that there were people that that took a lot of time and effort? And maybe be in, in your in your eyes. A waste of time. You think there were people that were that drained him of a lot of energy? Sure. Let's see. You have hit. hit we we examined his perspective. He exhausted himself. He labored and anguished over. And I would think that that Paul, you, it'd be fair to say that Paul anguished over getting the truth of the gospel correct. Because he knew how serious this was. Because in a sense, it draws a line in the sand for people in their life. And you can see this in chapter 4, verse 3. Praying at the same time for us as well that God will open to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. Here you have the Apostle Paul asking for prayer that he would preach this truth of the gospel, this mystery of Christ, that he would get it correct, delivered to these people in the proper and accurate manner. 
so that they not be, they, so that they not build their life on sand, but they would build their life upon the rock, the rock of Jesus Christ. So the biblical counseling ministry will require all of you, everything you have, everything that you have to offer, all the, all the things that, that God has taken you through. I mean, there's a reason why that we experience the things we experience in afterlife. God has given us a new heart and a new mind, equipping us to, to understand people most particularly in some cases, in a similar life journey as, as yourself. To be able to come alongside people and to communicate to them to their true need. But this does not mean that it's all um, rosy. There's certainly, and you probably have experienced times where you share the gospel and you get the door shut in your face or you have someone yell at you or swear at you or all kinds of things. But really the goal for all of us in this ministry is not just for some to be saved, but this presentation before God is, is one mature and blameless in Christ. And this is most particularly very, you know, hits home because I think of my children, as many of you have children, and that they would be, as you minister to them, that they, you know, I'm not just talking about people you come in contact with, you know, on the street or, you know, in your workplace, but your children in your household, or even some that are out, out of the house, that you may present them complete in Christ. So what does this complete mean? So that every man may be complete in Christ. And here we have the second part, the, the mission of biblical counseling. So we have the mandate of this, the presentation that these people would be presented to God blameless by his grace. And we have this mission, this completion, being complete in Christ. In some translations, uh, it probably says perfect. And it actually is used in, um, in, in chapter 4. It's translated as such. It's translate, translated as, as perfect in chapter 4, verse 12. But I would say that this communicates very clear and accurate understanding of complete. The, the basic idea is that they be free from any deficiency. Paul and Timothy had a mission for these people to, to be, you could say, to be mature in Christ. A maturity in Christ. Bringing the ultimate end of maturity as it pertains to the personal identity and character of a person. This is the idea of this word that is used here, complete. The Apostle Paul and Timothy were focused on seeing the completion of every man's identity to be found in Jesus Christ, in him alone. But I should say, and I'm going to point out, that it was also important not for Paul to just communicate truths about who Jesus Christ was, but also to provide caution and warning to these people. What do I mean by that? Well, chapter 2, verse 4, it says, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. What is he saying there? There are false teachers out there that seek to delude you with their persuasive arguments. Paul's warning these people. 
the church. Of being deceived. Chapter 2, verse 8. Very similar. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. And the idea, the understanding of this word captive is to captivate or lead as one away from. So he's talking about the problem, or he's warning them about the issue that someone would entertain these empty, um, these elementary principles, these philosophies, this empty deception, as as he says, that would entertain these in their thoughts and their minds, and it would just slowly draw them away. And that would captivate their mind instead of Christ. You see, there's so many people in this world that are captivated by the wrong things. They are captivated by these persuasive arguments. This, these elementary principles, these philosophies, these empty deception. Their minds and their hearts are, have been drawn away. Scripture says or calls these people alienated from Christ. Bond slaves of sin who love darkness rather than light. But also, he goes further. He goes further in chapter 2, verse 18. He says, let no one defraud you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and worship of the angels. And the idea here is to rob of a prize. For those of you who have trusted Christ as your Savior, this is the ultimate prize in life. And there are those who are tempted and are even being led away by this deception who think they have this prize in life. This prize in life takes all forms. It, right here, he, he illustrates uh, forms of uh, worshiping angels, idol worship, or delighting in self-abasement, delighting in forms of Ways that that people think make them righteous before God. And all of this, this deception, this captivation, minds that are focused not on Christ, but on the things of this world are robbed of the true prize. Those who think that they are on the narrow way, but in fact will be found on the broad way. The Broadway that leads to destruction. And there's plenty of false teaching out there that seeks to deceive and to captivate. And Paul, here in this letter, he found it necessary to warn the Colossian church of this false teaching and caution them that they not be robbed of their, or captivated by these empty pursuits, but instead fill their life full of Christ and have their minds and hearts be captivated by Christ. Chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. But also, Paul goes on to to describe a measure. He gives a a standard or a measure of this maturity and what he's he's describing or what he is trying to uh, communicate, this completion in Christ. I think there's a reason why Paul sought to use many verses to lay out really a Christology here in in Colossians, of who Christ is. Christ's authority and salvation. 
but also in chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, how people can grow in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. So here, this measure in which he's talking about is that the knowledge of Christ. It's, it's necessary for one to have a knowledge of Christ in order to grow in Him. Because it's in Him that we ought to walk and be established and firm in our faith. Not only that, but also chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, Paul says that, that there is this idea for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, Paul prayed for them, in verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all aspects. So there's this idea of knowing the will of God, the end of verse 9, and there you have another purpose statement, beginning of verse 10, So that what? So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So a knowledge of Christ and a knowledge of the will of God. And the will of God, I know I struggled with that in a lot of ways because there's so many things out there that can confuse people on, you know, what is the will of God for my life? Well, at least in part, this is described here. But also, too, is the knowledge of the gospel, and we, we discussed that to some degree. But I want to focus here on this. So you have a knowledge of God, knowledge of Christ, this knowledge of the gospel, but also the, a, a knowledge of applied theology. And what I mean by that is how to take what you know and apply it to your life. Just as I read Briefly, as an example, chapter 3, verse 2 says, So set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. You know, how do you, how do, you do that, and what, what results because of that? And really, you have, you should be convinced that this is why theology matters. It's not to be some... Um, Something to be desired so that you just can know all sorts of various nuances of, of theology and you know who God is, who Christ is, just to know it. But that ought to be applied in life. And really the, the, this applied theology is, comes to a culmination in two clear verses, or portions of verses I should say. Chapter 3, verse 17, it says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, to God the Father. And for some of you, that's a life verse. You recall that to mind on a daily basis, that whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is really the culmination of knowing Christ, knowing God's will, knowing what the truth of the gospel is. And with that mindset, and you say, whatever, whatever I do, in word or deed, I do it in the name of Christ. And then chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward, the the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Again, this is where it all comes together. So just think about those who you who you talk to, who you share the word of God with, who you may be counseling. Certainly it is important to, to talk about what we just addressed. Teach them about who God is, who Christ is, the truth of the gospel. But also help them understand. We ought to help them understand how this applies to life. And praise God, he gives us verses like this in verse 17 of chapter 3. 
and then verse 23 and 24. And whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord. I briefly want to mention a couple things about maturity and what I call the mask of maturity. There's two areas in which, Paul, you can draw out the way that some people can be deceived about their maturity in Christ. In fact, some people think they're, they're growing in Christ, but instead they have built a, a life of self-righteousness and building their life on the sand and not uh, trusting in Christ and having His righteousness. is being self-deceived. It's very easy to for those who are not following Christ to be self-deceived. Deceived about their own deception. And this is a very dangerous place to be. But also, those who are following Christ, as you see, Paul cautioned about, can be deceived. Can think that something to be very true, to be convinced about something in some theological position but more importantly be so convinced that they are a child of God but it were in fact be so far from that so I mention this as a, as a mask of maturity because there are some that have built lives of self-righteousness and that may be you know outwardly growing as as individually as individuals but in terms of maturity in Christ are just building a life of self-abasement and I also want to mention too is it's connected with the one before is this life not only one who is self-deceived but one who is self-righteous because the self-righteous one will often compare themselves to others and say, oh, I'm not as, as bad as, as them, and form various ways of thinking of how they're better than certain individuals. But you see Paul's conviction in the New Testament. Paul said he had every, every, he had every reason Every reason in his life to call himself righteous. The line in which he was born, his position religiously. Yet when he when his eyes were open to the truth of the gospel and the in in a sense the scales fell off of his eyes. He saw himself for who he was. And this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about, not only, maybe for yourself sitting there today, but these people that, that, you, that God puts in your life to minister to. People are self-deceived. People have built a life of self-righteousness. I think they, just because that they do so many hours of community service. But even some, even some, not even live, you know, self-righteousness. You hear, you hear people talk about, well, I hope I've done enough good. Done enough good works. Putting their faith and trust in, I hope I've done enough. So my desire for you this morning is to really see and strive for, um, to have this perspective in life, to really live in light of eternity and, and strive to have this simple ministry. Maybe not so simple, I should say, but clear and concise, because ministering to others can be very difficult and um, where you have to wade through a lot, of, a lot of issues. God has given us uh, great grace, and 
opportunity to, to minister to others. And I just want to lay out a list of just really a, a process of, of maturity, just as a list. First off, the work of God. God works in the person's life, and you could just as simply say in salvation, where he has taken someone, transferred someone from the, from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. Where there's redemption, where there's forgiveness of sin. Made alive together with Christ. There's this work of God. And in this process, a maturity begins. But it doesn't end there. It's this process of putting off and putting on. Putting off the, the, the uh, sinful patterns of the old life. And putting on the new life in Christ. And you can see that in chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. I won't read it. But it's a a wonderful illustration, a description of being proactive with sin. Taking off the wretched clothes of sinfulness, putting on God's character, Christ's character, fruit of the Spirit. So recognizing that God is the one who does the work in salvation we trust in, that we trust in. To be proactive with sin by putting off and putting on and fo- focusing on Christ. This is what Paul did and this is what you ought to do and this is what you ought to do with others whom you seek to share the gospel with. You focus on Christ. And you could probably add more, add more to this, but I'm going to add one more. Is that you hone your skill of discernment. We ought always be striving to be discerning, be wise. Because there are plenty of ideas, plenty of teachers that are seeking to draw our, captivate our minds and our thoughts. Not thinking on the things above, but thinking on the things of the earth. So biblical counseling can only help those who submit to God's authority. Those who are willing to to submit to the authority of God. But it doesn't mean that we should shirk our responsibility of staying true true to God and our commitment to Him as we minister to these people. Biblical counseling can only help those who are willing to leave an old life of sin. Too many people like to drag around their chains. Most of you know that I, I, was, I preached at a rehab center for many years. I hear all kinds of stories about guys that go away and they come back. And where do they go to? Go hang around their old friends. Don't change anything. Well, this is what we ought to not only have, our, have in ourselves, but when we talk to people, you, got, you have to leave your old life. And they can only do that by the grace of God in Christ. And lead a new life in Christ. Leading a new life, Paul outlines that very clearly in chapter 3 and 4. And to serve God. I've pointed this out before, but it's, so, it's such a concise, simple statement. This is what the Thessalonians did in chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. They turned from their idols to serve, to serve God and to wait for Christ, who is coming. So as we close, I just want you to just examine... Examine your life. So this was, you know, instruction in, in intentional biblical counseling. That there's a there's a mandate, that there's a, this presentation, of those that goes on, pre- presenting every man complete in Christ. This ought to be the aim 
of your ministry to others and ought to be the aim of the ministry of this church as we seek to, to counsel people from the word of God. This pattern of biblical instruction leads a person from dark to lightness, from darkness to light, from hopelessness to hope, from death to life, from one who is a bond slave of sin to one who is a bond slave of righteousness. And I'll leave you with this. A line from the hymn we sung, Complete in Thee. Dear Savior, when before thy bar all tribes and tongues assembled are, among thy chosen will I be, at thy right hand, complete in thee. Ye justified, O blessed thought, and sanctified, salvation rod, thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me, and glorified, I too shall be. Let's pray. O Lord, thank you for this day and your kindness to us. Thank you for the truth from your word. May we seek to to know you each day. O Lord, may we have wisdom to live this life. Pray for opportunities to to minister to people, to provide a, a hope of eternal life. Hope of eternal life. What a blessing. No longer burdened, no longer walking in shame, but a life that is um, life that is free, free indeed through Jesus Christ. Pray this in Jesus' name.